Hello and welcome to episode number 10 of the Wise Guys podcast. Today we have a lot of interesting debates and discussions. Thank you for the, the number 10, as that, that is how many hands it is or fingers. Today we'll be discussing Russell Westbrook and his all-time legacy, DeAndre Ayton going back to Phoenix, the biggest offseason loser in mid-July and last, but not least, a little NBA check it up. Justin, you may have a little MLB stuff, and if you do, we can talk about that because there's a pretty big MLB event this past weekend, what have you, or this week. I didn't watch it, to be quite honest with you. But we're going to start off, you didn't watch it, but you didn't. Of course I watched it. I saw I saw who won the home run derby. I didn't see the actual All Star game. The All Star game was, was pretty nice. The Yankee won uh, All Star MVP, but maybe we'll get to that later. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of Russell Westbrook news come out of the last week, and it's it's just tiring. I hate talking about the same stuff when it comes to the Lakers. But with Russ, he and his agent split ways, and his agent came out afterwards with a long essay about why the two split up, and basically. What it sounded like is that he wanted Russ to stay with Los Angeles because that was his best path moving forward in the NBA to get another payday potentially and stay in the league longer. And Russ was like, nah, I want out of here. In the summer league, he didn't go up to great LeBron and everyone else in the Lakers camp, all the players, coaches, and staff did. He was the only one that didn't even 90 feet, didn't even dab him up or nothing. Going alongside with that, there was this like damage control between the big three, the big three in Los Angeles, they got on the call and promised to, they made a vow to one another, they're going to make this thing work, which is as meaningless as it gets. And ultimately, you know, as a kid, I grew up and I started watching basketball around 2011. I saw the very end of Allen Iverson's career. I was like, who the hell is this guy? And I never got to see him just two years before have a borderline career year playing in Denver where he made it to the conference finals. So it was going below Blow to blow with Kobe Bryant alongside Carmelo Anthony. That was the real NBA Finals in 09. Two years later, Allen Iverson was out of the league. That was that was it for AI. Gone. And I look at Russell Westbrook and I say, that's exactly how kids today, they're 8, 9, 10 years old, the same way I was a decade ago, are looking at him. They're saying, who the hell is this guy? This was a guy finishing top five for MVP four different seasons. He was one of the three or four best point guards in the game that, you know, won MVP in 2016, six years ago. And NBA fans love this guy. You know, 2016, Katie leaves. The Ninja Turtle, he was the one that stayed in OKC. And Mr. Los Angeles became Mr. Oklahoma. Everyone loved him because he was all about loyalty. He wanted to win in OKC. Then, you know, as Brian would say, he was brought back to reality. He wasn't winning nothing in OKC. Got smacked around by Houston, Utah, Portland, Portland, Five games, Paul George, an MVP, they still lost to Damian Lillard. Enough. We got to talk about Russell Westbrook and his all-time ranking among point guards. I've seen people say, this guy's a top 10 point guard, and I don't think he is. I went through the rankings yesterday. We're about to debate, is Russell Westbrook a top 10 point guard? I'm going to give my list, then I'll have you guys give your list. But actually, Justin... Before we get started on the show, I heard you say something that, that it boiled my blood. I want you to give your top 10 list first because I'm I'm wrapping up. I'm wrapping up. Okay, so before I get going, I didn't rank them in order of 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way to 10. Okay. But I just threw my point guards that I consider to be top 10 point guards. So I have Magic. I have Steph. I have the big O, John Stockton, uh, showing love to the Knicks, a Walclyde Frazier. Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, Chris Paul, and I had Russell Westbrook on it. 
Wow. Whoa, I did wait, hold on. Wow. There's somebody missing from that Whoa. list. That's Jerry. That. Oh, my God. You don't have Isaiah Thomas on your I, top I, I did 10? not. And you know what? I'm sorry. It, it completely passed my mind. But, okay, I could throw him up. Like I said, it, it's – it's a seesaw. You can go. You can go either way. I, I, yeah, Isaiah Thomas is an elite point guard. I'll give you that. But I just, when I'm looking at Russ, why I say he's a top ten, I think his accolades and his stats kind of speak for themselves. He's the most athletic, most I'd say the most explosive point guard that we've ever seen touch a basketball. And I yeah, think there. over. And I think over the last couple of years, I'd say maybe what two, three years since since he started to decline. Am I right? Uh, roughly, yeah. roughly, right? About so, three to four years, I would say more. So, on this decline, we've seen some, we've seen some MVP flashes, and then we've also seen some. What the hell are you doing, Russ? Like, we've seen a lot, but like you mentioned earlier, John, eight and nine year olds aren't gonna remember the Russ that was dominating the league just five, six years ago. I think Russ is probably one of the most elite players to touch a basketball. And I just think we disrespect him because of everything that has been going on the last couple of years. So, yeah, I do think he's a top 10, top 12 point guard. But for the sake of my list, I actually have him at 10. Brian, before you go, I want to say something. How I rank players, the most important thing is we got to stack these guys up to their contemporaries. If we don't, the newest model of a player is always going to be better than the previous one. So for me, it's all about what did you do in your era? How did you change basketball? What is the NBA without you? Is the story, is it going to be told without you if we just take you and we delete you from the file? And last but not least, do they make their team and their teammates better? Are they easy to work with? And do they open the floor? Do they create place? We're talking about point guards. It's all about making your group better. Brand, do you want to go with your top 10 first? Because you yet have a stronger reaction than me. Yeah, so... I don't know where to attack Justin's first. I don't know Before you go, Isaiah let's just remember, Thomas. I listed eight point guards. So there was room for a, a Jerry West or Isaiah Thomas in my, in my ranking. Well, you know, okay. okay. So I'll, just give my, I'll just give you my top ten real quick. Um, it, this is in order. So from one to ten. I got Magic Johnson, obviously. I mean, you can't – Magic's – he's in my top number four um, – for all-time NBA players, in my opinion. He's number four on my list. So greatest point guard of all time, one of the greatest leaders of all time. I, I just think back to the stories I've heard of Magic and the one that really, like, you know, opens my eyes and goes, wow, this guy was next level. Is In his rookie year, they made it to the finals. And he was the finals MVP with, and with Kareem playing with him. Kareem missed a game, and he had to jump in as center, and he still dominated the game. That, that just blows my mind. M Magic made everybody better, like John said. Leader, he knew how to get people involved. He, 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 and even the off-the-court stuff where he, his personality was just like, when Magic, like I've heard, just when Magic walks in the room, everybody just feels uplifted and better about themselves because he just brings that out of them. It's just, you know, he personifies point guard. Number two, I got to give it to him, Steph Curry. I forget. I think I have him number nine in my top 10 players of all time. So second greatest point guard of all time, in my opinion. I, not much to really speak. I mean, greatest shooter of all time, greatest three-point shooter of all time, one of the greatest free-throw shooters of all time, revolutionized the NBA. You know, what, what can you not say about Steph Curry? 
Um, number three, I got Isaiah Thomas from the Detroit Bad Pulled Bist, uh, Pistons. Yeah, I, I just <clears> – <throat> when I hear the stories about Isaiah Thomas, another one that I go back to is hearing about him uh, score 25 in the third quarter of the game six, the NBA Finals in 1988 with a high ankle sprain. And I think I've heard um, some sports guys talk about uh, – sports media guys talk about it who were, like, in the locker room after that game. And I feel like they've said – I think that this was the game where Isaiah Thomas's ankle was like a freaking cantaloupe. It was just insanely bad. Um, he was a two-time champ, finals MVP, low turnover guy, didn't make mistakes, excellent playmaker, defender at the highest level tough toughness personified and he had a deadly mid-range jump shot and can make his outside shots when needed number four i got cp3 chris paul this is just if it wasn't for magic johnson who who kind of changed the game and revolutionized being a six foot nine point guard like those don't come around every every freaking you know christmas chris paul is like the guy you look to and say wow this this is a pure point guard that's why his nickname is point god this guy is just special defense pit bull he could do it all playmaking leadership and we've seen just to touch on like we've seen from you go from uh when he leaves the clippers and goes to houston the first year there they they come within a game of beating the big four warriors in houston he goes down if he doesn't go down, we might be having a different discussion and the history of the NBA might have been changed with KD and the uh, uh, Warriors become failures that year and Houston beats them. Um, then he then he goes to uh, – they go again with Houston. They don't do as well in the play. I think they make the second round and get bounced. Um, then he gets shipped off to OKC for Westbrook. And nobody – and I mean, nobody expected him to do what he did with OKC. They all thought lottery team, they're getting a lottery pick. They're going to be one of the worst teams in the NBA. And then guess what? He makes it to the playoffs. And not only does he make it to the playoffs, but he goes against that Houston team that he was just traded against and takes them seven games with that OKC team. Westbrook wouldn't have been able to do that if the roles were reversed. Then he goes to the, the Suns and – Makes it to the finals their first year. Goes six games with the Bucks. That was just, I mean, that was more just about Giannis, in my opinion, because that was Giannis's coronation as Giannis has arrived now. Like this, he's he's got next, if not now. Um, then they go on this year. I know they flamed out in the uh, their last um, series in the playoffs against the Mavericks, I believe. But he had an elite um, series against the Pelicans, I think, right? Their first series against yeah, the, the Pelicans? You're talking about Chris Paul in 2022, right? Where he yeah. Had the game where went 14 for 14 and 28 points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and, and they had a, a franchise uh, winning uh, career record with 65 uh, 64 64 games, I think. I think. 64 games wins for the Sun. So, he's number four in my list. Uh, round out the five, I got John Stockton. Uh, then I got Steve Nash, uh, Jason Kidd, Gary Payton. Oscar Robinson, and then Jerry West. That was pretty good. So here's the way I look at it. There's tiers to greatness. And for me, I, I got four, then you got a fifth. You got a fifth tier. Tier one, I'm going to order them. 
Number one is Magic, number two is Steph. I think Steph, by the end of his career, as a three-time champ and two-time MVP, if he gets one more finals MVP in there, he's only one shy of Magic, and he'll have just one less title. And when you look at how Magic saved the NBA, that's his his unique calling card. With Steph, it's how he revolutionized basketball. Nine, ten years ago, when a kid stepped into an open gym, 10-year-old, they're taking 14-foot jumpers. Now they're stepping out beyond the three-point line. There's a reason for that. It's basically screwed with the way, almost in a way, that we kind of developed these kids, how great a player Steph Curry is. Not only the best shooter, but the greatest player to an individual franchise. The Warriors were a bottom feeder, and a decade later, they're one of the greatest dynasties in sports history. Mm-hmm. And no matter what the parts were around Steph, they didn't need a star hunt. They got Kevin Durant, and guess what? It didn't matter. They could still win without him, two with him, two without. But those titles don't matter. It doesn't matter with Steph. He's just one of one. That's my first tier. Second tier, I got Jerry West at number three. I'll get into a, I'll give my, my uh, diatribe afterwards. Number four, I got CP3. Number five, I have Oscar Robertson, and it was tough. Number six, at the end of this, I got Isaiah Thomas. Those four players are all in the same group. Then we get to the third tier. I have Steve Nash, number seven, John Stockton, number eight. I messed that up. I have Gary Payton at number eight and John Stockton at nine. I forgot Gary. We're going to talk about him. And number 10, I got Jason Kidd. Right outside of that, there is Russ, Bob Cousy, Walt Frazier, your boy, Chauncey Billups, Finals MVP, Dame Millard, Dennis Johnson, Sidney Moncrief, Kevin Johnson, blah, blah, blah. I made a mistake in there. I think Gary Payne all time is greater than John Stockton. And when you look at it, I think Gary is honestly the most underrated NBA legend. This is the best defensive guard I've, in my opinion, I would say of all time. He won Defensive Player of the Year. It didn't happen until Marcus Smart this last season, but the difference was, like, Gary was, like, the defense. You know, he sure, there was Nate McMillan and other all-time defenders in there, but look at that Celtics defense and Marcus Smart. They were literally complete. They're whole. (laughs) Gary Payton was giving MJ trouble in the finals, and at the same time, he was averaging 20-8 and in the regular season and 20-6 and in the postseason. He could give you a bucket. He's one of the best playmakers in the game. And the thing was, he stuck around long enough to be a mentor on that Miami team as the oldest player in that group in 2006. Sure, well removed from his prime, but he was big time. The leadership, the respect, respect matters. If players don't respect you, how are you an all-time top 10 player to me? And the league not only respected Gary Payton, they feared him on the offensive end. That, to me, is what makes you special. That is his defining characteristic. And that's why I got him above John Stockton. Stockton is one of the most overhated, and I think maybe slightly overrated players. If you only look at the steals and assist records, I think you're selling, selling short the player he was. He has all-time longevity. I mean, you talk about 13 years, a total of four missed games. That's why he has all those records. He was an all-time off-ball defender, and he built, in my opinion, the best pick-and-roll duo ever with Karl Malone. I mean, that is his case. He never was an MVP candidate, which is why I have Steve Nash, who finished top two three times ahead of him. That is insane. Neither guy continued that in the postseason. And when I look in the playoffs, Steve Nash was better than um, John Stockton. Gary Payton was better. Isaiah was better. And certainly, to all the people out there who think John Stockton is ahead of Chris Paul at times because they both have longevity and Stockton has records, give me a break. Go look at their playoff records and come back to me. Go look at their playoff stats and come de- come back to me. And let me know, do you still think that? Because I think you're out of your mind if you have John Stockton in your top five personally. 
There's absolutely no ways ahead of Isaiah Thomas, no shot Chris Paul, and you're out of your mind if you don't have Jerry West in your top four. Jerry is, to me, the most complete guard pre-MJ. I mean, what do you want in a guard? Playmaking. Later in his career, he's terrific. Awesome teammate. His impact, the clutch shots, the toughness, he leveled up in the playoffs, scoring, one of the best shooters of all time. You put Jerry West, the player he was in the 60s, with a three-point line, the dude was still averaging 36-6 and six in the postseason without it. They didn't make an all-defensive team until he was 30 years old, and he still has five of them. Think about how insane that is. And sure, he made it to the finals nine times, and he's one of eight there. He ran into the greatest defense of all time six times. The two other times against the Knicks, the Knicks had the best defense in the NBA with Clyde, Willis Reed, Dave DePusher. That was another all-time defense. Only one of those teams didn't have an all-time elite defensive unit. And beyond that, as a point guard, he was more of a combo, sure. He fit in with all kinds of stars. Elgin, Goodrich, Wilt. What does Jerry West not have to be in your top four? Like, what are we missing here? Tell me. He won, a, he won finals MVP on the losing team. That's the last. I'm sorry. Do you want, do you want to go, Justin, or? Bro, I, like I said, I, it didn't it didn't cross my mind. I think I'm, I'm I'm a recency bias kind of guy, and I'm going by my era. There's a reason why people hate having all time debates with me because when we talk about Jordan and LeBron, I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't see Jordan, I didn't get to witness it, I didn't watch '60s basketball. Quite frankly, no offense, I, I really don't care. I I really just care about what what's what are you giving me today. What did you give me throughout my lifetime? What did I see? Which is why I, I, I have so many vivid memories of, of Russ just exploding to the lane and, and throwing it down. He's had some big moments in OKC. When KD left that season afterwards, I feel like that's how we should be looking at Russ's legacy. I feel like that's how we should remember him as that guy that is loyal, that guy that, that tried his best to put OKC on his back. You know, that's how I just view Russ in my was he, was he able to, like, here's the, the case of Russell Westbrook. He's an MVP, which is one of the most controversial ones, because his case was he had the most triple doubles in a season. And mm. in a Western Conference where him and Harden were the two front runners, Westbrook had by far the worst team, which just isn't true. Westbrook had a top 10 defense, Victor Aldipo, Stephen Adams. He had big men. Adams was perfect for him. Andre Roberson. There just wasn't a whole lot of offense there. And with Russ, they're the 16th ranked offense. With Harden, he had a bunch of role players around too. Eric Gordon, Lou Williams, some bigs that were just rotation level players. Mm -hmm. And Harden had a way better team in the playoffs. He smoked him in five games. Westbrook had like 37, 14, and 8 in that series. He also shot below 40%. And here's my problem with the triple doubles. I do not care at all. It means nothing to me. And this is the reason why. Do you want your point guard to rebound? Yes or no? You don't need it. You don't need it. No, as long as it's being made up by your big man. When you have a six foot three point guard that can't shoot the ball and needs it in his hands, and he's also chasing rebounds, do you want that on your team when you have guards, all time ones in Jerry, Steph, who don't need the ball in the hands, they can sprint up the floor, play off ball, they can space it for their teammates and open up the game? Because Here's the issue. If you're an all-time point guard, you got to make your teammates better. You're not if you're just nabbing rebounds in the centers. That's their job. You actually have to be able to play with and without the ball. You have to make those guys better. You don't need your point guard rebound. If it's Luka Doncic, that's different because he has led the most... He has led the most efficient offense of all time. In 2020, the Mavericks had the best defensive rating ever. 
So you want the ball in his hands. So that's why him gain eight or nine rebounds at six foot nine. It makes more sense because he's guarding Wentz. Russell Westbrook is just flying in there. A lot of the time, he's not boxing out. Defensively, as his career has gone on, after being a Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year in college, he's become a negative defender with his usage rate. He falls asleep. He loses track of guys. He always goes for steals. They often beat him off the dribble. So he's a negative defender. He gets 7 to 11 rebounds a game. You don't want that. He gives you 20, or this season, 18 points to 30. You don't want that. Your ceiling with Russell Westbrook as your number one is so low. Did you know that after Kevin Durant left him in 2016, his playoff record is not only below 500, but he is 8-21 and 21 in the playoffs. The one playoff series he has won last seven years was one where they won in spite of him missing over half of it. And the four games he missed versus OKC, his old team in 2020, guess what? They won more playoff games in that four-game stretch than Russell Westbrook did the previous season, where... You know, Damian Lillard said bye-bye. And you go, go a step further, Chris Paul with a bunch of guys around the league, a young SGA, Danilo Gallinari, players are just thrown around. They won more playoff games in that one series than Russell Westbrook did the last two years with Paul George, who was an MVP candidate. And so we know Russell Westbrook can't play with other stars. If your record is 8-21 and 21, when you spent those years with Paul George, James Harden, LeBron, who you missed the playoffs with, there is no shot you are a top 10 point guard. After the age of 27, he has basically done nothing in the postseason. He chases rebounds. Sure, he gets assists. He's a very good playmaker. And guess what? He still averages four and a half turnovers. He provides zero gravity. He doesn't make his teammates better. The, the reality is he never has. He was very good in the 2012 playoff run. He had moments early on in his career. But quite frankly, after Patrick Beverly took him out right by the scores table in 2013, he has done nothing in his career to impress me. He won MVP when it shouldn't have even went to him. It should have went to James Harden. And the truth be... Told, I would rather have Dennis Johnson all-time or Russell Westbrook. That is the finals MVP. He has been to the finals six times on two different teams. All-time defensive player. He made players better. He was a floor raiser in a way. He helped teams win a championship. He was a ceiling raiser. Russell Westbrook could never be number one on an NBA team. He could never win a finals MVP. He can't be your best player. And guess what? As he's shown us, he can't even ride the coattails of an MVP. So if he's not good enough to be number two, he can't be number three because of his personality. And he can't be number one. How on earth is he a top 10 point guard? I have him at number 11. Honestly, I may even take Bob Cousy over him because he has six NBA titles on an all-time Celtics team. He has fit in with other stars. He has made it work. He has all the assist records, blah, blah, blah. There is absolutely no way you could sell me on John Stockton being worse than Russell Westbrook. Give me a break. Russell Westbrook may be the most overhated NBA player of all time, but the reality is he's also one of the most overrated by so many NBA fans because he has, once again, done nothing to win championships. This last season, he got to play with LeBron James. Think about it this way. He has played with the best player of his era on LeBron, the second best in KD, one of the five best in James Harden. The only players he hasn't gotten to play with are Kawhi Leonard, who, guess what, Kawhi didn't want to play with him for these very reasons. When Russell Westbrook called him, he was like, okay, I'll take Paul George, I'm good. And Steph, because why on earth would Steph want to play Russell Westbrook? He got to play a Paul George, a top 10 player. And guess what? His record in the playoffs is worse than Ricky Rubio's. Ricky Rubio's outplayed him in moments. In moments. I, I can't even speak. I feel attacked. He is so overrated. I don't understand why the triple doublers make... It's like a dead end. It's like you go on a long road trip, you see a bunch of awesome sights, and you're still 30 minutes out of where your destination is. You just arrive at a dead end. Because those triple-doubles don't lead to winning. I'm not saying they're empty stats, because it's so hard to get a triple-double. 
He's so athletic. He's so skilled as a passer. And he still doesn't make his teammates better because of his personality. It's Wilt Chamberlain-like in a way where he cares about the stats almost too much. And the reality is he's not a winner. He never has. He's not adaptive. He's never made his teammates better for the last seven, eight years. And truth be told, I don't want him on my team. And now it's defense at 33 years old. I laugh at him. I don't take him seriously. He is a joke to me if I'm playing against him. You got rookies coming to the league making fun of him for being a brick machine. This is not an all-time top 10 player. And quite honestly, while he is a legend, like I said before, this isn't a true point guard. I mean, he doesn't make his... Okay. <sighs> So my my thing my only thing is so I, I hear everything that you're saying but my my one gripe with it and this is even goes for you Brandon is we mentioned the hate of Russell Westbrook you just went on this whole tangent about how much you pretty much dislike the guy but you still have him ranked in your top twelve so putting him in a top ten really isn't that inconceivable it's the only reason why I do is because production but the more you think about his production it doesn't lead to anything like he has the triple double record I so think then he can't be in thing. your top 12 he can't be in your top 12 the way that you're talking about him he has to be well below that I got Dennis Johnson at number 16 and the more I think about it I said to myself well Dennis Johnson accomplished way more and even a like a Damian Lillard or a Chauncey Billups like those guys are in the same exact tier as Russell Westbrook, and depending on what you value, they can be behind him, they can be ahead of him. For me, production matters. That's a part of this, which, for, which is easy. Why you can say Russell Westbrook's an all-time point guard, and you, you can't dispute that. It's hard to average thirty a game, even if you're inefficient at it. It's hard to get eight to thirteen to twelve assists because not many players can do that, even if you're averaging all the turnovers. And it's hard to get rebounds as a point guard, but. Like I said before, it doesn't make my team better. It makes my team worse because if you can't space the floor and you have no gravity, you're a six foot three point center. And as Russell Westbrook has lost that athleticism, come on, give me a break. He, to me, if I'm defending him, I don't take him seriously. I say to my center, go sit in the paint, hold calm. He'll probably miss the layup at this point. Case shooting fifty eight percent from the, at the rim. Like he doesn't, he doesn't put any fear into my heart. I, if I could, if I could give him some compliments. He's one of the best bank shot makers in the game post Tim Duncan. He has a family, he has a wife, and he's a married man. He's got kids. I credit him for all of those things. But as a player in the basketball court, he's stubborn. He's naive. He won't accept the player he is. He's dismissing anything. Like, he has all the opportunity. Like, how many players that play with KD, LeBron, Harden, and PG? And they have, guess what? More first-round exits than, you know, non-first-round exits. That's, that's pretty insane. So... Okay, so first off, I just want to say, <laughs> well done, sir. Um, you hit on a lot of points there, and a lot of them I completely and a hundred percent agree with. Um, I do, I do want to say, I mean, you you did clear it up later on when you talked about triple doubles you, that you don't want to discredit them, but you you want to. There's a story behind them, and they don't meet. And and I agree, they they are completely overvalued now and i think it's because they didn't happen like a, a lot for a very long time like they really started getting a lot of traction when westbrook started you know looking like he could do it for a year that's when everybody was like oh triple doubles triple doubles triple doubles you know but like they mean something and they also don't mean something i remember that first year he did average the triple double um i think it was so he he had 40 two triple doubles i think that year mm -hmm. so it was 82 games and i'm pretty sure they were like 41 and 41 maybe they i think they finished something like that and it was like basically like 
when Westbrook has a triple double, they win. And when he doesn't, they lose. So it meant something for that team, but then it just kind of fell apart in the years uh, um, after that. Um, but again, with, um, and I'll just say another thing on Westbrook, you're completely right about like um, not willing to change, not willing to accept the role, stubbornness. I mean, I just think back to the end of this season, excuse me, um, when Vogel was uh, on his way out and everybody knew it, everybody was talking about it from like a quarter through the uh, season. Everybody was like, okay, when is Vogel's time is, you know, running out? When is he going to get fired? Are they going to do it midway through the season, all-star break? Are they going to wait till the end? He waited till the end and then he got, he got let go. And then Westbrook goes on this tangent of just burying the guy, blaming Vogel for everything. And it was just, it was like, you really want to blame Vogel? Like if it was up to Vogel, I'm pretty sure he would have had you on the bench, you accepting the role of being a bench guy in the sixth man. But he was gotten, he got pressured from upstairs and they were like, oh, we're paying this guy a lot of money, dude. He's beyond the court starting. He was hands were tied. So he had to play you. So if it felt weird and uncomfortable, it's probably because he was weird and uncomfortable because he was in a tricky situation. But um, but back back to uh, what Justin said about Jerry West and you know not really seeing people you know play and whatnot. I agree with that to a to a point. Like I'm gonna, I have to give all these guys all the old guys the respect and love and admiration for what they did. Yeah, we can't go back and watch every game or whatever, or just like you know, big games and whatnot. All of them because it would just take forever. You can watch highlights and stuff, but you're not getting the full picture because you're not seeing their their low moments, their high moments, the in-betweens, all that, the ups and downs of basically a career. You're not getting that in a highlight clip of even 15 minutes. You're just seeing the best of them. But I do agree with it up to a point where it's like, for me in the 60s and the early to mid-70s and, and then even before the 60s, I do kind of put a little asterisk on it just because there weren't that many teams back then. It was before the merger and it's just, it was a completely different game. Like it was just diametrically opposite of what it was even in the eighties and nineties. When we started getting guys like magic bird, MJ, Isaiah list goes on and on Barkley keep uh keep naming them Hakeem Olajuwon whatever you know what I mean so for Jerry and Oscar and it's the same thing for my all-time list like I put Bill Russell on there at number 10 just because of the respect I have you know and what the old-timers say about him and what basketball historians say about him I have to give him his love and respect and that's why I put him over Will Chamberlain because you know he beat Will in the biggest stages so I put Oscar and Jerry on my list because of the same reason I hear the people talk about him and I hear the historians talk about him and the analysts and they say these guys were on, they were great. They were hall of fame players on another level. So I have to give them their respect, but I'm going to, I'm going to lean towards favoring the people of, of, you know, recent, more recency. Like I got kid who played uh what late nineties, two thousands around there. Gary Payton, same thing. Uh, Steph has been a, a new age player. Isaiah was 80s and 90s. CP3 was 2000s. And now 
Stockton, 80s, 90s, Nash, 90s, 2000s, and then Magic, 80s and 90s. Like I give, I, I, I give it up to those guys because it, it's more recent. Um, and it was a, the league was similar to what it is now. I know it's, it's, it's obviously the game is different, but you know, more teams, more um, high. I think, I think the real thing is, is more high level talent. Like back then when West and Oscar were playing, yeah. the talent wasn't really on the, like, I, I, I really honestly feel like Steph Curry would cook Jerry West. Well, he, look, stop. Like, but I, I think that you can throw a lot of players in today's NBA if you threw them in the 60s and the 70s. It'd be uh, – I, I think they'd dominate. Why do we do this? Why? What do you mean, why do we do this? If you're a what great player, if you're a what great player, doing? you're going to find ways to be great in any era. And beyond that, yeah, if you take Steph, who was born and raised by Dale Curry in, you know, the 90s, one of the greatest shooters of all time, and then you put him in 1996 or 1966, yes, he, he's going to be an all-time great player. But that's impossible. You know, Del Curry was, you know, a little kid in the 60s. So you, you can't actually do that. Like, that logic is flawed. And if you take Jerry West, who was an all-time great player in the 60s, and he gets to grow up in the 2000s with modern technologies, science, and advancements, and how basketball is played, he would be an even better player. Jerry West was an all-time shooter without a three-point line. His release, the quickness he had, he was one of the best defensive guards, one of the best playmakers, high IQ, tough, clutch, yeah, but wait, John. I just I don't want you to miss my point piece. because I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying. But Jerry West is different, though, is what I'm trying to tell you. Sure, I like that point. You're right about that. And I think with Oscar Robertson, yeah, he missed the playoffs three straight years in Cincinnati before he got to Milwaukee and won a championship his first year. That's why I have Oscar a little bit lower because five of those ten years with the Royals, he had a he didn't have a winning record. And so you say he had all the triple triple double records like Russ, but those weren't very good teams, and he didn't raise them to championship heights until he got to play with. The best player in the NBA and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 23 years old. And so I agree with that statement, Brandon. I don't disagree, but Jerry West is different, man. I mean, people say, yeah, he's on the logo, but it's not just the fact he's on the logo. It goes so much beyond that, and he is the exact player. But I feel like, but I feel like, I feel like he's top, I, I'm giving him top 10 in my list. Like he's number 10 on my list. It's, I'm not... I feel like giving him top 10 is not a slight or anything. Top, number 10 out of how many point guards have played in the NBA, in the history of the NBA is pretty freaking elite. Like, I don't like it's the but... elite of the elites. I'm just saying for me personally, I can't list you higher than these guys. When I think back then the league was so different and the level of play wasn't at what it was in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s and onward. I can't give you that because I I feel like the game was just it was But when you're when you're looking at the greatest players though, dude, it, it's not just who was the best. And Jerry was the best. He was the best guard in his era. It's how they changed basketball. It's what would the NBA be without them? If you took Jerry West out of the NBA story, the Lakers dynasty, the Lakers, the franchise would be completely different because not only are they missing one of those titles and those nine finals appearances, that's one of their four or five best players in franchise history just deleted. And when you look at what makes a team better, he was an all-time player, top five for over a yeah, decade. Yeah, but John, John, all-star to, what every you year just, to what you said, to what you said about like the story of the NBA, all these top 10 guys, you can't tell the, the NBA story without them. Magic. You can you tell the tell story the... of the NBA without Jason Kidd. You can tell it just fine. No, you can't because Jason Kidd was a critical part of that 2011 run with the Dallas Mavericks when uh, Nur uh, Dirk won the championship. 
Can can you tell the story of the Nets without Jason Kidd? Yeah, because that team was one of the worst finals. And he's of all second time. all time in assist and steals. You can't tell the story without Jason Kidd. He had a hundred, I think it was 118 triple doubles in his career. You can't tell the history of the NBA without Jason Kidd. I'm not trying to disrespect Kidd, but he didn't even shoot 40% of the playoffs in his career. I think he's an all-time top 10 point guard. When we look at those Nets teams, I mean, if another team from the East went to those finals, it would have been no different. The Lakers, any team from the Western Conference, they're going to smack them around. I'm not trying to take away stuff from Jason Kidd. Yeah, he's got the assistant steal records, but outside of him being, he was an MVP candidate in Phoenix in 99 and 02 in New Jersey. But when we talk about the story of the NBA, how is this player a game-changing championship guy? 2011, he was, but I mean, he was really just a shooter and like a, a stationary Joe Ingles chill in the corner. You're I forgetting kind of, about all the leadership and the intangibles that he brought well, to the team. That doesn't really impact the story of the league. I think it can be mostly told. I think that him. does. That impacts that championship run because without a leader and a guy like that, you don't win. That that's a hard that's harder task to 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 win in that case. Okay, you got it. Dallas doesn't win without Jason Kidd. Yeah. Yeah, that one is just, it was like, I know Dirk was the main story. Like, that's why I'm not saying, but he was integral to that championship run because you needed a leader and a veteran of his caliber at point guard. And he was a starter on those teams. So, I mean, we just saw John, we just saw the Boston Celtics without a veteran leadership point guard. Put Jason Kidd on that team. Do you think they have a better shot at winning that championship? He can shoot it and pass. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, you can't, you can't, and I'm, and you can't tell the story without Oscar Robinson and Jerry West either. I mean, Jerry West is the logo for God's sake. You can't, you can't, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to lean towards more of the guys that have been in more recent NBA because of the talent level around them and what they had to play against. I just don't think you see a Steve Nash without John Stockton. I don't think you see a Stockton without Jerry West and you have to pay homage to how they stacked up to their contemporaries. I think West, he, he impacted the game so much. And I was wrong about Jason Kidd. He does play a role in the NBA. It's just smaller to me than some of these other guys. I have an a tier above him. You can barely tell with Kidd because that 2011 run, and he was an MVP candidate two times, top four or five. And beyond those two things, he was a player that actually developed his game and enhanced it, unlike Russell Westbrook, who this whole discussion's about. Yeah. He went from being called acing kid without the J to an actual Ace. good shooter shooting, that was... Shooting the J. Yeah, he was not down he finished, three-point shots. Here's, here's, a, here's a thing that I, I read, right? So when he was when he retired, he uh, ranked third all-time in three-pointers made mm-hmm. when he retired. So... He was able to develop the jump shot, which Russell Westbrook has shown us he has not been able to do. He's not been able to change his game. He's a when you when you're a point guard, and one of the first couple of things people think of think of about you is um a low efficiency, high turnover guy. That's not good at all. That's not good. This guy in his when in OKC. Uh, through a couple of years, he was averaging over five turnovers a game. He just, he came in second place in turnovers this year to Trey Young. And the only reason he didn't come in first is because he, he didn't play the last three games of the season. He, he, Russell Westbrook went from shooting 80% at the free throw line for a couple of years straight to now he's at 65%. I think he was like ranked like, Bottom 10 in the NBA this year in free throw percentage. He's a career 30% three-point shooter. 
and I don't want to do because in his height of powers, we got to start. We got to uh, give a little respect to him because in his height of powers, he was a game changer, right? He was. You got to give it to him. He was one. He's up there with one of the most athletic point guards to ever play the game. Like Justin said, up there with guys like Derrick Rose, uh, John Wall. You got to put up there. Uh, Baron Davis. I think you could put up there. Uh, guys like that. He and he 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 didn't change the game, but for that OKC team and for where Westbrook came from, like he wasn't really highly touted coming out of uh, UCLA, I believe it was. And, and OKC when they drafted him, I think I think it was Sam Presti, felt like they had a diamond in the rough here in Westbrook. They were like, oh, we got this guy. And then you see what he became: a guy who could give you 25, 27 a night with eight, nine, eight, nine. Uh, um, rebounds and assists. Defensively, he was, you know, not at the level he could have been. But you got to look at Westbrook and got to say, you know, I give him that credit for being able to do what he did. But you also got to look at it and say, he didn't do what was necessary in the right moments, where it's accepting your role later in your career and trying to become a more efficient and better player, like a player that can win championships, a, pair, a player that can win a championship. That's what and, we play for. I think you really hit the nail on the head, both of you with the athleticism and all that stuff. But that is honestly his biggest enemy. It was because of that. He never actually developed the three point shot, the jumper. It was part of that where he became somewhat naive to the fact he wasn't a good enough player upstairs. Like, sure, you're one of the best passers and you have a good vision, but at the same time, his awareness, his decision-making was always flawed. The the turnover stuff, I'm not going to fault him for. And quite honestly, I'm not trying to attack Russell Westbrook's character or the person he is, the story he is as a player that was unranked, climbed all the way up to the top of a draft board, and became an MVP. I think it's an awesome story. But when people try to put him among the elite, and not only that, the players who actually accomplished that the highest feats, Shore, Stockton, Nash, CP, they haven't won championships. But we've all seen those guys with Nash, I think much like Chris Paul's is terrible luck he never played in the finals. And with Russell Westbrook, I, I think his athleticism and all of those traits that made him so special is also the defining characteristic and why he never grew as a player and he actually regressed. And John, I just want to say to what you said about not being able because I for, I just forgot about this. It just uh, brought back into my head. Hmm. Westbrook was in his height of powers. He was. Vi- I want to say that he was really good at that mid-range jump shot. Like he had his jump mid-range jumper where he'd bank it off the backboard and it would go in. Right. That real, like weird stop, jump up, pause for a second and then shoot. It was a very weird jump shot, but he had that down patent in OKC for those couple of years. He did average like an 80, 81% free throw percentage for those like four or five years. For nine years, eight and eight years, you showed over 80%. Eight years. Okay. He he had these um these character these um traits uh traits. It it just goes to something happened. Like cause you had it the ability to do those things. And now it's just you've gone from you know, you're you're like all right, you're like a B right here in those in those characteristics, to now you're a a D. Like what that I think that has to go with up here. 
there's something going on where he's thinking too much about it. I think maybe the criticism is getting to him. Maybe, you know, he's a very prideful guy. We know that high confidence. Russell Westbrook doesn't lack confidence, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I can't explain it. I, I don't think we've ever really seen it. Like something like this, where the guy goes from being able to do that, like at 83% from the free throw line to now he's shooting, I think 65%. What happens? As a player, I can tell you, foul shots are all upstairs. And that's that's a mental thing more than anything else. And maybe there is a block there because when you're at the line, it's a 15-foot shot and everything, every time you go to the line, is going to be the same. Got seven seconds, got a deep breath, maybe a few dribbles. Yeah. And it's just you passing the ball to the rim. So, yeah, I think you got a good point there. That is not me trying to attack Russell Westbrook. To the, the Lakers faithful, the, the Russell Westbrook faithful, here is my Twitter. I'll link you right there if you want to come at me. Um, I, I just don't think he's up there with a top 10 point guard. I I, I think that's why he's overrated. And at the same time, he's overhated. I, I don't I don't fault him for his weaknesses. I just say if, if we're going to put him in the top 10 point guard discussion, we got to talk about all this stuff that, that isn't mentioned. We focus on his triple doubles that kind of lead you to a dead end. That is maybe one of the last times we're also going to talk about Russell Westbrook because I'm kind of afraid his career might be over. And I don't say that as like, yes, he's one of my like players I root for. He was one of my favorite players. Oh, there's a chance, though. You're right. There's a chance that I don't think his career be... is over. I think somebody there's a, there's a chance team? that if, a team. He, if he gets traded and the team buys him out. What team is signing him outside of Washington? That's there's no team I see that's rebuilding that says we're going to take you to be a veteran leader. There's no contending team that says we're going to want your personality in our locker room. Washington is the only there's place that would consider it. I think there's no other option. Hmm. Do you think there's, there's any other teams? There's a chance. Not off the top of the off, off the top of my head, no. But I mean, the guy's not 36, 37 years old. I, I think he could still contribute to a team. Obviously, there's a big mental thing. He needs to buy into a role, but. If he can, why can't he be a solid role player for a team? He hasn't shown it. But then again, it, it, it is a big it, – it's a big what if. He He's been in the league it. for 14 years, and he hasn't really shown anything over the last second half to, to say, oh. Yeah, no, but you're right. But listen, I, I feel like a lot of people were thinking the same thing about Carmelo Anthony. Is he going to be able to buy into a uh, a role on the bench? I'm sure, yeah, while these are two very different players. Uh, Dwight Howard? Yeah. So Andre Iguodala? He, he ended up buying in. So, I mean, maybe – I don't know if he will, but it'd be nice if this this offseason reality slaps him in the face where he sees where he's at, and, and maybe he can contribute to a championship team. I really hope that is true. If he wins a championship as just like a, a leader in there, kind of like Gary Payton, he would be yeah. in my uh, my top 11 without hesitation, and he would be in that, that he would be in that third tier with uh, Kidd, Stockton. I just don't see it. I, I wish, I wish, I but I, I think... Russell Westbrook's let me down many times. Mm. He's not gonna let me down again. I just lost all all stock. Um, <laughs> there, there's there's quite literally none left. Speaking of players of very low stocks, DeAndre Ayton has been a a subject of criticism and a player often thrown around uh, by his team. Rumors, reports. We don't want you over the last two and a half three months. And he signed an offer sheet with Indiana because Phoenix kind of told him to. Four years, one hundred and thirty three million dollars, and the Suns matched it within minutes. After a few weeks before, John Hollinger is coming out reports saying it seems more likely than not Phoenix doesn't want him back. 
And now he's going back to a place in Phoenix where Monty Williams, the last time we saw him, the two of them together, he was saying, you quit on us before he benched him in a game seven in the second round. After the Suns broke their franchise record and wins and quite honestly looked like the best team in basketball that would be upset if they didn't go all the way to the finals for a second straight year. And DeAndre, I got a lot to say. Justin, we actually didn't talk about this before the show, but I want to know your take with this new contract, as Chris Paul ages, will DeAndre be an all-star on it in the Western Conference? And the next step of that question, next evolution is, will he be the number two alongside Devin Booker for the years to come? It doesn't seem to me like those two have a really strong relationship together from the outside looking in. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a big concern. Personally, I don't think, uh, I feel like Phoenix was in a situation where could they have gotten anything better than DeAndre Ayton this offseason if they let him walk? Probably not, unless you were acquiring KD, but that seems already off the table. So I, at the moment, the way I look at Phoenix, I feel like that championship window is really just closing. It, it's Aiden doesn't, to me, he, he doesn't seem to be that guy that's going to step up and get you the big boards and put up those points. And like you said, uh, while CP3 is aging, Devin Booker and Aiden don't seem to have that relationship in order to mesh into a championship team when CP3 is out of the picture. So Really, I feel like the, the Phoenix roster, uh, it's filled with tons of question marks. I felt like they should have been jumping to get KD to get this guy out of there. Because at the moment, this isn't a championship team to me. Can they get Yes. But so, I mean, I think they were jumping at KD. It's just that they, they kind of handicapped themselves. Because <laughs> I believe that they had the opportunity to sign DeAndre in last year. To, Indeed. to the extension and the max contract. It would have been for cheaper money, I believe, than this time. So it would and been... they would have been able to include him in the trade for KD because the contracts wouldn't mess up with the Ben Simmons, I think, I believe. So it would have been five years. So this is four years, and that would have been 178. So right around the same, a little bit more money because the Suns got from an extra 5%. Okay. The, the difference, though, was DeAndre on the full five-year max. Yeah. They were offering a similar deal. This was four years worth a little bit more. So you were right on that. This is a little bit less. I just want to set up. So you. yeah, yeah. So I mean, they 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 shot themselves in the foot. You know what I mean? Like they they couldn't, and now they can't trade them until January fifteenth, I believe. So, and they had they had to match the deal from Indiana because if they lose them for nothing, then it's just Chris Paul and DeAndre, uh, not DeAndre, uh, Devin Booker, and that's not going to be a team that's going to compete with these other guys you need deandre and he's a he is for for what he's not and we we understand he's not he's a he's not a very high motor guy the uh the intangibles are questions there i mean monty uh monty williams really like question i mean he benched him in the fourth quarter i believe in uh in, first um, half i think the first half sorry i stopped watching after the first quarter i was watching i was tuned down and started doing my work yeah <laughs> done. so i mean it's a question mark. Can that be corrected? Yeah, you can learn that. You can learn to have a high motor. It's all about the want to. Do you want it? Is it in here? You got to have a conversation with yourself when you're alone and be like, do I want this or do I just want to be eh? Because DeAndre, and I think if he wants it, he can be a 23, 24 point a game scorer with 11 to 12 rebounds a game and a block and a half a game for a season. I think that that can be his ceiling, maybe even higher. If if because I mean without the high motor he's what seventeen and eleven right now with a block a game easy right there so I mean 
Phoenix has really just messed themselves up. I mean, they had the opportunity. I mean, I think Aiton, Mikel Bridges, maybe probably Cameron Johnson and a couple first round picks for Kevin Durant. I think that would have been a, a very enticing offer, especially from the deals that are getting thrown out that are not mm-hmm. looking that good for KD. So like, I mean, as far as the window closing, I think they've got, I think until CP retires, they've got the window is open. Cause Chris Paul is still that guy. I understand he flamed out in the last series that we saw him in. The series before that, we saw him completely ball out and play some of his best games he's ever done in his career. So we got to, you know, level it out right there. So I'm going to give him another shot this year and see what he's got, Chris Paul, to see if the age has really caught up to him, which I don't think it really has. I don't, I can't really explain what happened. I'm just going to say it was a, was an off series for Chris Paul and he'll return to form uh, this upcoming season. So, but yeah, if Chris Paul, when Chris Paul does retire, we're going to see those Suns go back to what the Suns were before Chris Paul was there. And that's a, not a playoff team and probably fighting for a play in tournament. We'll talk about Chris Paul in a second. Do you guys have a comparison for DeAndre Ayton? Sort of an analog that he reminds you of? Hmm. I have one. Let's hear it. A quicker Lamarcus Aldridge. The difference would, is he's much better on defense. Yeah, but also Lamarcus is a better shooter all around. I have a couple of stats for y'all. DeAndre, he's not the type of player. He's not Shaq. He's not going to hit you with a post spin and dunk mm-hmm. it in your chest. He's actually very, uh, very reliant on touch. He shot seventy-seven percent at the rim this last season, and fifty-six percent from mid-range. Fifty-six percent. I was talking more about outside shot because Lamarcus could stretch the uh, court. Well, the three say. ball, the three ball didn't really come around until later in his career, if I'm not mistaken. I may just be making that up. I'll check in a, a brief moment. DeAndre is one of the most unique center prospects we've seen because it was all about a center that's coordinated mm-hmm. and has really good length. He's developed so much in terms of touch that on short rolls, when you give him the ball from four to 12, 14 feet, the dude's automatic. It's I, I've never seen a player outside maybe Jokic or the last decade that has as good touch while I've watched the NBA at the seven at the center position. His touch is incredible. And he's seven foot. So you can't block it. And he's so quick with his moves. You give him the ball, he constantly relocates to make himself an outlet in the Suns offense. It's one dribble, quick spin, post hook, fade away. It's automatic because no one can actually contest it. And if I'm an opposing center, He's sitting in, he's straddling in a space where he's not at the rim. He's playing from like six to eight feet. So if I'm dropping back, it's money every time he gets the ball in that area, that little in-between spot. And with the Suns offense, it fits in perfectly because all of those starters are elite for mid-range. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, those guys in the clutch live there. Mikel is another guy, and even Jay Crowder. I didn't even realize that until I checked on cleaning the glass. That shot over 50% from mid-range. So all of their starters were. That's the issue. So I got a question, John. Yeah. So with Aiton in the fold still, do you believe Phoenix's window is still open or? Their window would have closed if Kevin Durant went there. Absolutely. Because their starting center wouldn't have been JaVale McGee. It would have been Bismack Biombo. He's the guy that's going to give you 15 to 17 minutes. If you lose your best defender, Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, you're giving up so much to get a player at Kevin Durant who has shown us he needs all the things around him. He needs the coaching, the GM, the supporting cast. He's not actually number one when there's 
limits. We just saw that in Brooklyn. They didn't have that center. They didn't have those wings. Mm. Guess what? In Phoenix, it would have been the same exact thing. Is Devin Booker, when Kyrie's healthy and playing, better than Kyrie? Slightly. He's a better defender. Offensively, I would say Kyrie's more skilled. But... I would take Kyrie. Okay. That's that's reasonable. And Chris Paul, yes, he's better than some of those Nets guards. Not He's better than all the not named Kyrie. All of them. <laughs> But it's the same exact thing. You don't have the wings. You don't have the depth. You don't have the center because you're sacrificing all that to get KD. And that's what the Nets would have wanted. Otherwise, they're saying to themselves, we got KD for four years. We're not trading him unless we get Bridges, Cam Johnson, and stuff when you send DeAndre Ayton to another team because we don't want Ayton. But DeAndre is so good. He's got the quickness. He's got the touch and a fluidity for a big man, which is really unmatched. The issue is, as number three, it's so tough. There's the trade rumors. Chris Bosh, Kevin Love, we were talking about Russell Westbrook before. All of these centers, they are the scapegoat when it doesn't go well. Chris Paul and D-Buck have two points in the first half. We're pointing the finger at DeAndre Ayton. That's what it seems like to me when in reality, he's the one that feeds off of those two because the third man is always going to be the one that's playing off of them. He's feeding off of how well they play. And when Chris Paul in the postseason has those elite moments, so does DeAndre Ayton. The issue with Chris Paul, whether it's the injuries bad luck, his body at 36 years old, Chris Paul is never in his career, and odds are because we've seen it for the last decade, he can't do that. He can't be that top 10 main man for an entire playoff series. He can do it in moments. For a series, he can do it. But once you get three rounds in, when the dude's playing 70 games in the regular season, which I guess is a pride thing because he wants to do that and show he's healthy and he can play all the games, every time his body breaks down. And when you have defenses that know exactly what the Suns are trying to do, which is get to their spots in mid-range, and they're athletic, they're physical, and they jam in. The Suns, I don't know if you guys realize this, their shot diet is absolutely screwed. They don't get to the foul line. Like, Aiton, he gets to the foul line less than two times a game. Think about how bad that is for a center. Because all of his touch, all of his shots are just, you know, floating jumpers and jump hooks. He doesn't actually take it to guys, which, hey, works. He's efficient. But when you need reliable offense, most of their shots, 41% of them, almost half come from mid-range. And that's so much different than the rest of the league. It's just the fact they're so good at it in the regular season. They're able to win so many games. But in the playoffs, defenses are aware this team wants to get to their spots. And when they really put pressure on CP, they attack him defensively. He's small. He's old. And most of all, they say, you're going to have to beat us by stressing yourself out, trying to create your shot off the dribble. Look at Boston. They're trying to get to the rim and get three-pointers. But Phoenix, the three-pointers aren't opening up because defenses are making them consistently, you're going to have to beat us off the dribble. You're going to have to create your own shot. It's really tough as an offensive player when you have to work for those opportunities for a two-point shot. It's worth one less point than a three. So for offense, it's so much less efficient and it wears your body down sooner just because of the fact it's not threes and layups, it's mid-rangers. And we saw that in the finals in 2021 when Drew Holiday put the pressure on Chris Paul. It was so much tougher for them to actually get their shots off, and it wore them down as the series went on. So. For for this last season, I, I think that I think that you're right with people pointing the finger at DeAndre Ayton. I mean, to me, I I don't know why the finger pointing didn't go at uh, Devin Booker. That that's who everybody ca- calls the best player on the team, right? Mm-hmm. That's who I all I hear. I mean, I, I I think it's Chris Paul because when Chris Paul got there, that's when they became great. Um, they almost made the plus Ricky Rubio. Huh? They almost made the plus to Ricky Rubio when Andre only played 40-something games. Yeah, but I know that, but 
Chris Paul is the guy who got them over the hump. Yeah. They, they, they took that jump because of Chris Paul, but it was supposed to be Devin Booker supposed to, it's like when uh, with LeBron in LA and they got AD LeBron's aging AD, you're supposed to take the reins and become the best player on the team. Chris Paul comes in. Chris Paul can do it now. Guess what? Devin Booker, you're supposed to take the reins and it's supposed to be your team. Now, where were you? If you want to start having these conversations, being in these conversations of top 10 in the league right now, guess what, buddy? You got to become the if so facto best player on that team. Mm. You didn't you didn't produce. So, I mean, if Chris Paul, if this is Chris Paul's last season, he's gone next year. And then let's say DeAndre Ayton is traded uh, during the All-Star, All-Star break this year. And it's just Devin Booker. I mean, what are you going to get for DeAndre Ayton, really? Mm. Not going to get a player on Chris Paul's level to match with Devin Booker. So Devin Booker is going to be stuck in Phoenix now. He's going to be like Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal in Washington. At least he's got, at least his coach isn't Scott Brooks. His his coach is great, but the coach can only do so much when it's just one great player. And especially when you're in the Western, the West, the West. Yeah. Sorry. I got tongue twisted there. When you're in the West with all those playoff teams. So it's open for this season, in my opinion, because they still got that big three. But let's see what moves they make, because I know they still want Kevin Durant. Maybe they can make a move. It's over. We'll see what happens. They're there. not getting KD. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I don't yeah. think so either, but. I think I mean, KD stays in Brooklyn. Yeah. So there's a chance. There's a, a lot. Yeah, there's a, bigger ch- there's a bigger chance of that happening now. But um, I know there's been a lot of rumors of Pat Riley is freaking reaching he's grasping at every straw in the book to try and get like a four four team trade to get in there to get either mitchell or kd i know he's Mm. scrambling right now um but i think all fingers point to deandre and he's possibly getting traded at the um all-star break so let me say something about booker though yeah we're going to come back to in a second I feel like I'm not critical on him. Justin, you're a Knicks fan. You've seen this dude come into the garden and give you all 30 and end you. Like, when you're watching him in those games, what are you thinking to yourself? About Devin Booker? Yeah. I think he's one of the most explosive scorers in the league. I love watching him play, man. Just, you give him the ball, you can get 40 a night from that guy. You just never know. He's like this this microwave. The second he's on, you just can't stop him. Like you said, I've seen it firsthand unfortunately in the garden but I've seen that actually from many people more than Booker when they come to the garden so but I, I love D book and, and as a number two he's a, he's an awesome number two he's not do I find him to be a number one no I don't think so but he's, his, yeah. he's yeah. in that Lakers series he was the best player in that between LeBron AD sure he was injured hmm. but he was better than LeBron in that series he was the best player there do you disagree no not yeah. at all. I, yeah, I'm with series? Brandon I'm with Brandon where he says not yet as the number one, the, I don't want to just last really series. I do give him a little bit of a break because he had the the hamstring injury. He came back from. He was supposed to miss over a week, and he did. He did miss nine game nine days. I wonder if that alone. There is some COVID stuff the Suns are dealing with. I'm sure playoff teams are, and they just don't report it, so they don't lose the best player. I do wonder if the hamstring and COVID stuff was part of the reason why he shot 29 percent to end that series. That's kind of why I'm not too hard on him, and I say okay. We've seen him do it against the best in the game, but he actually has to do that for an entire playoff run. As we saw at Tatum, it's the same thing. Those young guys in the you know the eighth best player to fifteenth in the league, Trey Young, you can do it for a series, but 
when you're looked at as a superstar, we expect you to do that for three series in a row. Four. I think for Devin Booker, he can do that and average 30 a game for a series, but the next step for him as he's, he's continuing to grow as a, a defender, a decision maker, if he wants to be a top eight, top nine player in the game, he's going to have to do that for an entire playoff run. 2021, he was playing at the Broken Nose. I think he kind of did it then. I honestly feel like that was when he proved himself. Do you guys disagree? Because the more I think about it, playing through a Broken Nose is tough. You're playing with that mask on, it's different. That was his first time in the postseason at 24. Mm-hmm. That didn't improve at all? For me, no, no. I mean, no, I, I Devin Booker is a great player in the in the NBA right now. It's just that if he wants to enter that discussion of top ten, it's time to take it over now. Mm-hmm. Where you can carry a team as the best player on that team. I mean, in the Dallas series, I, I'm I'm looking at his stats right now. I mean, twenty-three points a game almost four turnovers a game uh shot 40% from the 3 40 uh 43% from the field it's how we get into that thing he started off very strong yeah yeah no no yeah yeah, yeah. and then it, it, he really like kind of faded out towards the end um talking all that game and Lute says time to show up yeah so Over. i mean if you're going to if you i mean we all agree i think we all agree luka luka's a top 10 player in the league I think, top uh, five. I think some of you have top five. Yeah. yeah. Top five, yeah. Um, so when you're going head to head with uh, Luka Doncic and Luka's the only guy on that team and you're getting beat by him, you know, what, there's levels to this game. It's no disrespect. It's just, listen, I, I don't, these, these players, their book is open. Their story is, is being written right now. And guess what? The best part is they get to write their own story. Yes, there's some, you know, things happen and whatnot that you can't control. But for the most part, you get to write your own story. This, that story has been written last year. The, the story was written. That chapter is over. And that happened. So now it's time to move on to this next chapter. And hopefully Devin Booker can take that next step to, I'm instead of 23 a game, I'm dropping 30, 32 a game. And, and you see, that, that's what I love. D-Book is what, 24 years old? 25 24 20 okay 25 years he's old he's going I, into he's going to be 26 in uh october okay i still feel like we haven't seen his best yet and we've seen no he's just home. entering his prime yeah right so I, I still think like you said from averaging 23 a game this guy could easily average 27 28 a game next season he, well no i he, me- I meant for a, a playoff series like again uh, he oh, did average a 27 a game for the regular season this okay. last year i meant Against Luke and the Mavericks, he only averaged 23 a game. But so in the playoffs, take that to the next level and average 30 a game. Yeah. Well, he listen, he's cold-blooded, man. He is. That, that guy is cold-blooded. So I could see that next step coming. I just hope that Phoenix is, is going to, you know, be a championship contender for years to come because they got they got, they got got some good pieces, man. And as long as CP3 is there, you got to take advantage of it now while you yeah. can. I think the window is closed. I think a shot – Honestly, I think the best path forward was keeping Aiton, but I don't have enough confidence in this team. When I look at Chris Paul falling apart every year in the third and fourth round of the playoffs, this year is the second. And I say, as good as they can be in the regular season, I'm expecting them to be a top four or five team. Man, I wouldn't be shocked if they get knocked out in the first round next year. That window is it's it's closed. Uh, you got the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Warriors. And so many other teams that are on the Suns level. Memphis, Dallas. Dude, I didn't even mention the Pelicans. Pelicans are going to top 25, 30 player 
I'm not really worried about the Lakers, but that's another team you can put in there too. I'm worried about that. Oh, well. I'm worried about LeBron. LeBron. I'm not disrespecting LeBron. I'm disrespecting Anthony Davis, who comes to camp out of shape and doesn't stay healthy. That's something disrespectful. AD, AD been in the gym every day, 4 cool. a.m. Baby. Well, guess what? So is Cam Newton. How did he uh, show off with his early don't do gym? That. That's yeah. up. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. No, no that's need true. for that. I'm not trying to diss Cam Newton, but this because you're waking up early doesn't mean you're gonna change the narrative. Although Anthony <laughs> Davis, I'm sure could if he had the ethic. Early um, bird gets the worm, John. So, we talked about Anthony Davis, you know. We're talking about a, a winning franchise in the Suns last year, right? But now, John, what, what are we going to talk about now? We're not going to talk about it. Actually, you could talk about Anthony Davis and his team if you want to. The offseason, we're pretty deep into it. There's still some moves to be made. Colin Sexton was a guy averaging 24 a game on pretty good efficiency a year ago. He hasn't been signed. Carmelo Anthony. There's a lot of role players like him. They're high-profile names. There's young guys. Even Donovan Mitchell's in the trade block. You get the Utah eight first-round picks and some young players. I think he's going to New York. Um, but we, we're done talking about Donovan. We've talked eight about him so much. Oh when I saw that, That's, I was like, Jesus Christ, Rudy Gobert. But those are, that trade just killed the trade market, dude. Those are late first round picks as well. If they're yeah, early, I know, but still, three. it's just it kills the freaking trade market because now it's just like nobody can get. It's hard to make a trade like that. But does Donovan at this stage of his career at twenty five have less trade value than Paul George at twenty nine thirty? Does he? I think yeah, they have the same amount of value. The the, tr- the tr- but that's what I'm saying. But the trade block is is been, it's like it's like the uh, um, free agency. When a player comes up, maybe they're not as good as the guy before them, but they're getting the more money because it's their time. I don't like that. I ha- I actually hate that because I think it should be like what you said, evaluated on talent level. Are you if Aaron Rodgers is up for his max extension and he gets this money, and now Jimmy Garoppolo's up, Jimmy Garoppolo should not be making more money than Aaron Rodgers just because it's his turn. It. <laughs> There's a hierarchy to this. There should be a mid-level, and I know that's bas- uh, football, but it's the same concept for NBA. So, speaking of off-season moves, I want to ask you guys what team has, has lost the most this off-season? What team has took the fattest hell, and they're headed in a direction that you don't like? Oh. Justin, you're worried about the Knicks we're going to start with you because I don't think the Knicks should be one of your teams. It's, it's not know. the Knicks. It's not the Knicks. Cool. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the Knicks. Yeah, it's, it's not the Knicks. Cool. It's, a, it's, a, it's a loser franchise to me that I feel like has no direction, and that's the Wizards. I, I'm just, like, so baffled by them resigning and giving Beal that extension. I feel like they should have traded Beal a long time ago. There's no way this team is competing for anything other than a bottom playoff seat if they're lucky with Beal making that kind of money. I mean, do you really believe in a trio of Porzingis, Kuzma, and Beal? I think uh, Kuzma was pretty good this last season. I think Kuzma, Absolutely yeah, but, but I'm just saying, yeah. That no. no matter how good he was, that, that's not a team that's ready to make another step. I just feel like uh, Beal's not a 1A championship guy, and, and maybe this might be a hot take, but I don't even know if he's a sufficient number two at the moment, given how deep talent is across the league. So... I don't know. They Washington should have, should have had a, a bundle of assets from from this Beal trade. So if they if they would have dealt him, I felt like they'd be in a better position. You know, Reno how do you, prime for the future. How do you feel about that trade clause they gave him to? Bro, like <laughs> you, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's like they're they're the biggest losers. While yeah, you know who's the biggest winner? 
Beal because he just cashed in. Man, he's he's there playing for his money. I mean, like, I think about the Spurs a little bit. So this is what the Spurs did with Kawhi. You know, they tried to win with uh, DeRozan when they traded him. And I guess he's a decent Beal comparison. But, <laughs> uh, man, they just make me laugh, man. You know, the Spurs finally traded Murray. They got a bunch of first-round picks from it. You know, it's a fresh start. If Washington eventually came to that same conclusion with Beal, maybe they'd be on a better track. But at the moment right now, Porzingis is making, I don't know how much money, like $80 million or something. Per year, it's like 27. And but I, yeah, okay. So per year, about $27 with that. You're, you're paying Porzingis. You're paying Beal that money. There's just no success with that group. I'm sorry. The Wizards are, are, are my biggest losers. And I'd be surprised if there's anybody lower than that. And real so, quick, you, sorry. Oh, go ahead, John. No, go ahead, real John, quick, real quick, you look at Orlando, it's a similar thing to Vucevic, where the difference was Orlando sucked, which is why them going for that eighth seed was a little bit exciting for the fans because they promised them to be back in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Washington, on the other hand, made the playoffs almost year in and year out with John Wall and Brad. And that was one of the most fun backwards duos, one of the best times in the franchise history. But when you're a team that, unlike Orlando, has had the success, you've been to the playoffs, the fans have seen it, they've been able to feel it, but you didn't make it to the conference finals. In fact, you haven't won 50 games, I've said this before, in over 45 years. you got to look at the, the analog. Indiana was in a similar position. They say, you know what, we're doing this a bonus. We're going to build around Halliburton. And they got an owner who's older. He wants to win now. Mm-hmm. Orlando, they promised the fans they're going to win. It fell apart with Vucevic. They said, look, guys, we're going to do this all over again. We know we said the rebuild would be over in four years, and we're actually rebuilding again. You have to do what's best for your franchise. The cute little BS of, yay, we're keeping Bradley Beal. It's going to be so much fun winning 37 games every year. What are you doing? It's the most pathetic thing in pro sports, honestly. When you have your owner go from being like, we're going to compete for a title, to we're going to compete for a playoff spot, even though we've done this the last seven years. And keep in mind, this team hasn't made the playoffs since 2018, 2019. You've been a lottery team, and they're not giving themselves an, an actual bite at the apple, you know? Because with Bradley, you're not going to be one of the worst teams, unless he's dealing with injuries the way he was last season. But then you bring in Persingis, another good player who's dealing with injuries, the collective of those two playing together, you're not going to have a top lottery pick unless you get super lucky. So you're not giving yourself a chance at budding at the apple to get a top five pick. And you look at how they got Wall, how they got Beal, Otto Porter. Sure, they had their misses and a Jan Vesely. No. Overall, like, you don't give yourself a chance to bet at the apple. You're failing your fans. And for any of the fans out there in Washington that are still supporting the team through this, I don't know why you're doing it because this franchise should be ashamed of themselves. Maybe they try to move Beal on his current contract but guess what since you gave him that little fruity trade clause if he doesn't want to go to that place you can't move him and you would think after their gm and tommy shepherd did a masterful job moving john wall and russell westbrook he would have prioritized that flexibility right and honestly i think that 200 million dollar contract would have been enough for brad the fact they also gave him a trade clause they lose all that versatility moving him and now they're doing the same bs where they're trying to build around him Move on while he's got value because this rebuild is inevitable. And the longer you delay it, the more you fail your fans. And she, this is the exact example of how you don't run a, a sports franchise. You look right in Washington, D.C. So um, for my biggest, and I just want to say I, I do agree with you guys. Washington has is, is been a 
loser for since John Wall um, got injured and couldn't play for a mm-hmm. long time. Um, and I agree that that backcourt was just, excuse me, was just electric. I mean, John Wall and, and Bradley Beal. And I, I do hold a little bit. I'm not a Washington fan, but I do kind of slight KD. I, I ju- this is just a little tangent. I'm going to go on for a second. For KD, when he when he left OKC and went to Golden State, I, I kind of was like, yo, KD, if you want to prove something, dude, go to your hometown, Washington Wizards. Go play with John Wall and Bradley Beal. That's a big three right there. The hardest go win coach a championship. to get him. I hired Scott Brooks just for him to do whatever he wanted there. Yeah, go go win a championship there. Don't go to a team that was already built. Go to go to your hometown team and win a championship for Washington. You know how much credit you would have got if you won a championship as the guy in Washington? That was a but team. That, that's, that, they're yeah. a piece away, too. I don't want yeah. to cut you off, but like that Washington team, they're almost winning 50 games. And if you put KD in that mix, oh, my God. The battles between them game. and the Cavaliers would have been incredible. Incredible, hell yeah! But, but that, but that's neither here nor there, right? My biggest loser is not a team; it's a player, and his name is Kyrie Irving, because Kyrie Irving, for how smart he is, he made such a stupid decision. The guy wanted out of Brooklyn. The guy wanted to go to LA or wants to go to L.A. with LeBron. From what all reports are saying, he wants to go to L.A. Why did you accept your player option then? Decline it. Now now the Lakers don't have to try and freaking make a Kyrie for Westbrook trade work because it does not work. It doesn't compute. Even if you add the 27 first-round pick and the 29 first-round pick, that doesn't make any sense for the Lakers or the Nets. That's five, seven years from now. LeBron's going to be retired by then. Kyrie will probably be retired by the time the 27 or 29th pick uh, comes around. Kyrie should have declined that player option. Now he can sign a deal with the Lakers when the Lakers get rid of Westbrook because all they would have had to do was find a sucker and there's a sucker born every day to take Westbrook's contract. They would have had to deal with him. Maybe they buy him out. Maybe they let him play for your whatever. And now you get Kyrie on the Lakers. And you don't have to give anything up except for the guy that you want to get rid of. I just look at it and I say, what, what the hell was that? Like, why did you accept your player option? How do you guys think Joseph side the Nets owner, feels about Kyrie? Oh, he hates He's him. probably sick and tired of him. <laughs> He's probably like, God, just. <laughs> hey, bro. Why are we? Why? From all the reports, he's like, Sai is like very much a guy that wants reliability in his business. And when the product isn't even going to show, he's just like, get this guy off my team. I don't care if we go back to the D'Angelo Russell days. I've had enough of paying this dude. And I guess Kyrie wants some of that money back because he lost a lot last year not playing at home games or games at all to start the first two months. So, hey, go get that bag. But yeah, the doesn't want you. You know, and if. If Brooklyn doesn't watch you, I mean, eh, Lakers the only team that does. Mm-hmm. He's not won a championship in Brooklyn. Just like the Suns, that championship window is closed, I think, honestly. Even though they, they got TJ Warren, Royce O'Neal, I think with Steve Nash, there's just yeah, there's not enough to problems. say in that Eastern Conference that they're going to actually be able to win three playoff series. You got Boston, you got 
Philadelphia. Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Miami. Still got Miami. Still have Atlanta, who have maybe the best backcourt in the conference. Chicago. Chicago will be healthy. Cleveland will be healthy. I think Cleveland's a better team than Brooklyn with how they're going to grow. Uh, a lot of people won't agree with that, but I, I'm pretty mm-hmm. high on Darius and Evan Mobley. My biggest offseason loser, first off, obviously, Wizards, they actually had a good, like in terms of team building, Monte Morris they picked up for KCP. I thought that was a really good move. They were so stacked at the wing positions, all of the wings they've drafted in Denny Avia, Rui Hachimura, Corey Kispert. There wasn't enough minutes for all those guys. You have Kyle Kuzma in the mix. So by trading KCP, you open up minutes for all those lottery picks. Monte Morris is a starting point guard in me. I think he's one of the 30 best. He's really good. Shot making, not controlling over the ball, discipline, and knows his role. And then you add in Will Barton. I, I, ah, shit, I forgot they have him. Oh, never mind. That, that blows up my last point because Will, I forgot. Will Barton's a wing player. I guess what will be playing more than KV, uh, KCP. So by trading KCP, you bring in another wing player that's going to take away minutes from all of those lottery picks. And I look at Daniel Villa. Do you guys think there's any star potential? Because I just think he's a fine role player. That, that's it. I feel like that's yeah. a selling. I'm sorry, I missed the name. Denny Avia. He's he's like he's solid. I think he's a very good defender, high IQ, decent passer. He can't shoot or score. I look at Rui Hachimura. He reminds me of Jabari Parker. Corey Kispert, little Joe Harris. So if you got Joe Harris, Jabari Parker, and let's say Nick Batum, and then Johnny Davis, he came in summer league and stunk it up. I think Davis will be a Tough shot-making guard that relies on mid-range, but he has to become a better three-point shooter. The Wizards' young core is not good enough, and there's not enough support around your uh, your big three or your big fourth, Kuzma. And, like, Barton's a good player. He's fine. He's not going to do anything in the playoffs. He's going to stink it up, probably. Um, they're just doing everything wrong. I think their gym's really good at his job. Like I said, he traded two of the worst contracts in basketball, but... You're not getting a lottery picks. You haven't drafted well either. This is a team that could have drafted Tyrese Halliburton. They could have. We talked about the Suns not taking him. Denny Avia, that's just another wing player. Like they didn't need that. So, so are him. you are you saying the Wizards are your biggest loser with me? I think they are the biggest loser in the Eastern Conference. The biggest loser in the Western Conference is another team that I thought had a really good offseason. There's two I actually got. Portland's number one, and number two is Phoenix. The Suns, they brought in from Minnesota, Josh Akogi. They brought in from Golden State, Damian Lee. They added end of the reserve players, but they have no draft picks coming in, no undrafted free agents. DeAndre Ian's relationship may be fractured with Monty Williams. We won't really know until the season starts. And while Chris Paul's only going to be a year older, you didn't get better as a team. Jay Crowder's on expiring contract. There's that Landry Shaman extension. He doesn't really provide anything. You need a backup point guard. You don't have that. The Suns, they're just regressing when the rest of the league is getting better. I look at the moves Denver made, getting KCP. He fits in perfectly. Bruce Brown's another Wayne player that can defend if it's an awesome. They had an awesome offseason. You know they're going to be healthy. Same with the Warriors, the Clippers. The Suns, they're only getting worse and falling down the standings. That's one of my teams. Portland made some pretty good moves. That's the team I was talking about. Jeremy Grant's a very good Wayne. Josh Hart, second year at the team. They have young players. Of course, you add in what's-his-face. Um, oh, Gary Payton, second. My apologies to call him what's-his-face. From Oregon State, I think those are really good moves, but that's not a playoff team. 
Dame doesn't have the support of a number two. His second best teammate's Anthony Simons. That's CJ McCollum and him 2.0. You got a better defense, but you only got one big man. This this is a team trying to be uh, Golden State. Chauncey Billups wants to play an aggressive style defense. And I think with the players they added, they can play very aggressive. And honestly, I, I think they'll be a top 12 or top 15 defense, even with that small backcourt. They'll be, they'll be good, good enough. But I say this is a playing team. They're not going to be a top six seed. And when I look at them having to win two games against a squad like Memphis or the Suns will be in the plane probably, because keep in mind, Jaron Jackson is going to miss the start of the season. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs and they're in the situation where they want to pay the luxury tax. But if you're not making the postseason and you're spending all this money on a team that's not good and you're going to be at the end of the lottery, you got to move Damian Lillard soon. I um, I think for the franchise, as cool as it is to have that Mr. Trailblazer at the end of his career, they're really in no man's land, just like the Wizards. The difference is they're in a better position. They've actually made the conference finals. They've won 50 games, and there's a little bit more hope of Dean being an actual All-NBA player, unlike Bradley Beal, that maybe they can make the playoffs and be competitive with a player that's much better. Um, so those are my three teams, you know? Mm. Honestly, yeah. the biggest loser as a player might be um, might be Miles Turner, honestly. <laughs> Um, because he just is stuck in Indiana and they couldn't make it more obvious how much they don't want him. I feel terrible for that guy. Go imagine going to the facility every single day for a franchise that's had you on the trade block for years. And sure they're paying you well, but they just try to get rid of you for DeAndre Ayton. They're trying to rebuild and you're 25, you don't really fit this thing. I think for him, the poor guy, he just sends to Miami, you know? <sighs> Be tough. He gives me a little bit of Whiteside vibes, uh, Turner at the, the shot blocks. I don't think he's really a, as good of a rim protector as those stats may suggest. But I think he'd be really good playing with Bam, a guy that can open the floor a little uh, bit. He's only shot 34% from three, but he can make shots and play the five. That allows Bam making? 12 million, I think, no, in the early much. teens. That's too much. That's too much. But he can play the five, so Bam can play it's the okay. four. You don't, you don't think so? No, we got. I think that's you need fine. a center that can space the floor and play the five. That's not what we need in Miami. What do you need? A score, yes, but we need a score. We need a number one. Yeah, you need a supernova offensive player. But the second thing you need is a center that can make it easier on Bam to play the four. I think that's the next thing. Well, that um, I, that's why I didn't want us to re-sign Dwayne Dedman and for us to go get a better backup center. But he looked so cooked in that Celtic series. You guys, now we, you guys now saw we're that back right? with Dwayne Dedman. So I mean, well, you got Omar Yurtsev, and he's going to be your backup. Who? Omar Yurtsevin. Oh, Yurtsevin. From Georgetown. Yeah, yeah Yurtsevin. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think they, they, they like him. Uh, they definitely want to develop him, but we'll see if he's ready for the uh, for this upcoming season because um, he's got, I mean, seven, I think he's 7'1", maybe. He's, definitely, he's a seven-footer. He's a seven-footer. He's big. Big rebounder. That could be effective. Guy. I mean, he's, you know. He's got yeah. the younger legs than for what Dwayne Dedman and Dwayne Dedman's, I think, I don't even know how old he is. 31, 32. For a while. So Turner's making legs, 17 a half million, by the way. Yeah, yeah those those legs ain't what they used to be for Dwayne. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not. Yeah, you guys saw him and love all those ball screens again, absolutely blown by by Jalen. Yeah, we need, we need, we're, we're looking for, we, I, I just really want Donovan Mitchell, but. We can get into the heat. All right, enough of that because yeah, they're not that, right. the that, Knicks right. are the number one zero or something. They can give up. Yes, um, we are. Don't do that, Donovan Mitchell. I tweeted this. Don't do that. You will regret it. 
for the rest of your career if you go to New York? Nah, legacies aren't built in Miami, buddy. They're built. Oh, really? Really? They're not? They're built in the Talk Dwayne Wade, the third greatest shooting guard of all time. Talk LeBron winning his first two titles in Miami. Could you imagine if LeBron won his first two titles in New York? They they were gonna go to New York. That was an option, but guess what? Guess who? Guess guess why they didn't go? Yes, John, yeah, uh, I, I know. Believe me, I know. James Dolan, okay. who I've been telling who you since we met, is the worst this, owner. This in isn't a Knicks conversation. Baseball. I just just wanted to. There throw are guys it though to have a say about that. Who has a better future, Miami or New York? Miami. Really? I yes, feel like Miami. Miami is closer to their window being closed than the Knicks are. No, so. no, because we have leadership and stability that you do not have. And you're desperately grabbing to to try and get. You haven't had that for years. Listen, I'm just saying, we see the sun right now, and and we're about to open the window, so. Guess what? We in South Beach, we see the sun all the time. Yeah, and a lot of rain. Ain't no rain. When Jimmy Butler's making, like, $52 at 36, and Kyle Lowry is still going to be on your books a year before. We don't know if Kyle Lowry's still going to be on the books. Okay, it's gonna be pretty hard to move off of him. And Duncan Robinson is making almost twenty hey, like, million. Like I said, there's a summer born every day, though. Same. I think, I think with Eric Spoelstra, yeah, you guys got the coaching like advantage by a mile. But the the Knicks are gonna have RJ. RJ will develop into a player better than any permanent guy that was alongside Donovan in Utah. Jalen Brunson can be a number two scorer. He showed that in Dallas. I think that that trio, the three of them, so long as RJ, if he can get enough opportunity to develop, that'd be the biggest question. I think that would be better than Donovan, Ban, and who else? You're giving up all your draft picks. You're going to give up Jovic. I just think Donovan and draft picks to begin with. You guys? Yeah, we got like nothing. Pick swaps is what I'm saying. So you don't even have any to use. We haven't really been using that many draft picks anyway. I mean, we've succeeded on Bam and Tyler Hero, but I mean, we forget about Justice Winslow. I just think that next big three would be pretty good. I think um, RJ may lose a lot of opportunity to grow, but that's the highest profile. I think guy I think you're I think you're missing with Jimmy. With. Jimmy's not, and we've had this argument about Donovan Mitchell with the athleticism and it deteriorates. Jimmy Butler's not and wasn't built off of his athleticism, so I mean he can still be Jimmy Butler into his late thirties. I have no I have no qualms with that. Um, Bam Adebayo is just going to get better. I mean, if he develops that mid-range shot as like a consistent weapon, that I mean, he's he's going to be just fine. Okay, um, so the, are those your two that you're wait, relying on? That's right now, have. we are. I mean, right Bam okay. is the Bam Bam. Yeah, for the future, I mean, he's not going to be the best player, but he's going to be number two or three depending on who's with them. Jimmy is for the uh, recent uh, near future. And the Knicks are on the come up. They're not on the come up. What are you talking about? They need a coach before they're actually on the come up. We were just the first. We were number one seed last year. And and that's like I said, your window is slowly closing. Where? How old is Jimmy Butler? He actually made a great point about Jimmy, though. Jimmy is so crafty in the way he scores. He's got the ninja cuts, the up fakes. He can get to the foul line. Yeah, he relies a lot on his burst, but he's so creative in the ways he can get to the rim and score from mid-range. I think in three years, Jimmy's still going to be a high-level starter and one of the best wing defenders. He already is at 32. And, John, Jimmy, you know, and, Jimmy, and Jimmy can impact the game without scoring. We've seen in, that. 
in three yeah, years. Does Miami have a championship? Or, and I said no. Miami's winning a championship in the next five years. I asked John because I knew you were going to say yes. Yeah, well, I would say no because your calling card is how well you can develop young players, all the undrafted guys. But I think there's a certain limit when you don't have the supernova. And when you have the supernova in a place like Miami, oh my goodness. Well, we're going to get one. Ooh. Yeah, you said about Giannis and uh, how that worked with the BAM extension. You guys did in a creative way. You can extend him or sign Giannis. Giannis wanted to stay in Milwaukee. There's nothing we could do about that. That's that's the point. You say you do until you can't and it's over. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, but Milwaukee actually did the necessary steps to, to build with Giannis to become a better team. Utah has not done that with Donovan Mitchell. So there's no reason for him to stay there. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying when it comes to Danny Ainge, he's going to take the best offer. The Knicks have more draft picks. They have he better is. draft I, picks. I can't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to dis. I'm not going to. Truth I be can't told, sit here I would and argue rather... that point that New York doesn't have the better offer on the table. They do. I, I can't argue that. But Pat Riley is the godfather for a reason. He's found ways to do things in other areas. The, this is not. Done. This is Danny Ainge. This is not Kevin McHale. I look at this and I say to myself, if I'm Danny Ainge, I would much rather Quentin Grimes, Obi Toppin, Cam Reddish, and Emmanuel Quickly than Jovic, Tyler Hero, and just less picks. Like that's that's yeah, but that's why you would have to add another team. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You guys already gave Jovic his uh, rookie extension, so you wouldn't be able to move him. Uh, I think you did. So you wouldn't even be able to Jovic, the first round pick out of Serbia. Oh yeah, no, you can't. You can't trade uh, a yeah. recently. Uh, yeah, he got his extension. I'm pretty sure. Let's see. Yep. So you wouldn't be able to move him either. Yeah, uh, I don't expect to move him. With Pat Riley there, I, I'll always believe that Miami is going to put together a competitive team. I, I'll never, I'll never knock that. But I do believe there is a window, and it is closing. Much like Phoenix. Not saying I think you guys have a way better roster right now, but I think you're more complete. But like I said. You guys, you you need that score. You know you need the score. And if the Knicks are going to get him, where are you going to get it from? <laughs> Other people. Ooh. Other people? I really don't know what guard would be on the market because I don't think Booker would be there. I think Booker is Mr. Phoenix. I don't see him ever leaving, to be honest with you guys. Okay. I, I don't know who because I can't give you a name. But listen, I know that Pat Riley has been trying to make a move for a couple of years now, a big move to get a, a, a big-time player on there. So I, I have all the faith in the world in him to get a, do, a deal done for someone who, I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see and find out. Could it be KD? Maybe. Donovan Mitchell? Donovan Mitchell? Could be. Kyrie? Not likely, but on the table. Who knows? So that was, our, uh, that was our prelude to check it up in a way, fellas. Yeah. That was uh that was I didn't really expect us to get into a Donovan Mitchell Heat first Knicks debate, but there we are. We 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 just had it for like what the third time. Um, <laughs> speaking of um, we are we actually I think I already asked you guys to rank the three. This is my check it up. I'm gonna ask you guys to rank a trio. Wonder what you guys think. So the first one is from the 2020 draft class: Lamelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton, and Tyrese Maxey. Rank those three. Repeat. Tyrese Maxey, LaMelo Ball, and Tyrese Halliburton. Mello Maxey Halliburton. Oh. I think that's fair. I could agree with that. I think Halliburton right now might be better than LaMelo. No. Because as a scorer, I trust him more in the pick and roll than LaMelo. No. 
and as a as a shot maker, Halliburton's elite already from mid range. Neither guy can get to the rim, and from three point they're around the same. Camilo's I think going to be special. Okay, Halliburton's not. Halliburton Camilo. will be special, no. but I, I do see no. Lamelo. Halliburton, I think, will be a all star caliber player consistently. Lamelo Ball is going to be a star, possibly borderline superstar. I would have actually. Right now, I think Tyrese Maxey is right on Lamelo's level. I think I had Maxey last though. Lamelo has the length to be a good defender, but just like Tyrese, he gets pushed around. Now they're good on that ends. Only like twenty-two years old. But they're 21. weak. They're they don't have the frame. They're going to get pushed around, which is they're not good defenders. I think Lamelo has more upside just because he's like six foot eight. Tyrese is six foot five. The other guy's a good defender right now, and honestly. Unlike Lonzo, I don't really see Lamelo Biden as a defender because Lonzo is a role player. You know, no, he has Lame- to do that staying Lame- in the league. Lamelo is more of an off-ball defender, a better off-ball defender. Yeah, where he can jump passing lanes. How about in the playoffs when uh, bigger mm-hmm. wins try to attack He's him? He's 22, on 23 years old, John. Right now, I'm projecting 21. for the future. Lamelo will get there at that point. Trust me. We'll be talking about it in a couple of years, and you'll thinking- be saying. Brandon, you were correct. LaMelo Ball is special. I think LaMelo is special. I think Tyrese is special as well, though, man. I had a commenter say this. I made a video. Someone was saying, one of my boys, that Tyrese will be a top five point guard. I was like, eh, I don't know about that. But then a commenter said he has all the same traits that Darius Garland has. He's a year, uh, year, how do I word this? He came to the league, the league a year later than Darius. Tyrese never had the chance to actually run offense, and when he did, he was given Philadelphia almost 40 points, and he was averaging almost 13, 12 assists at certain parts of the season. He's a better playmaker right now. In terms of scoring, he's better for mid-range, so Lamelo has that part of his game as well. Tyrese is elite for mid-range. That's a huge part of his game. He's got the floater just like Lamelo. He can knock that down. Those are two very similar players. I think Lamelo has a little bit more upside because he's bigger and he's a more creative passer. But I think with Tyrese, he's a little bit more functional. He's 20, my bad. LaMelo is 20 years old. turning 21 in August, correct? Yeah, he's a day after my birthday. Really? Yeah, August 22nd is his birthday. I'm 21st. Yeah, Halliburton's only 22. He's a year older. And he's just now getting used to the offense. I just looked at his stats. Look at the jump LaMelo Maul made from first season to second season. He went from 15.7 points to 20 points a game. He went from um, 6.1 assists to 7.6 assists. He went from 5.9 rebounds to 6.7 rebounds. Free throw percentage went from 75.8% to 87.2. Three-point percentage went from 35.2 to 38.9. And field goal percentage was kind of similar, around 30, uh, 43%. So, I, I mean, he's already showing the jumps right there. Listen. When uh, when this whole ball thing started, right with the with the triple Bs and whatnot, Lavar was coming out and Lonzo was coming out. Mm-hmm. Lavar said, he said, "Listen, Lonzo's great, Leangelo's really good, right? But the third kid is the special one. That's the one you need to worry about." He Tell said it, right? this in the beginning. Lavar Ball said this. He Tell said, it. "No, you y'all need to worry about Lamelo because he's the one." And he's proved himself right. This kid, he, Lonzo's the quiet, you know, lean back, laid back guy. He doesn't really, you know, talk a lot, get involved in all that stuff. 
LaMelo is the brash one. LaMelo takes after his dad, LaVar. He's brash. He's talking. He's confident. He's ready to get in there. He's swaggering out. He's doing between the legs, alley-oops and whatnot. You know what I mean? This kid, uh, he, he's, he's, trust me, you'll, you'll be saying it in a couple of years that this kid is on another level than other people. I didn't say LaMelo is not special, but I do want to tell you, this is how we're this. Tyler Reese in Indiana averaged 10 assists and shot 50-40-85. That was what he was doing when he had the offense. Justin, do you got a, a little NBA or even MLB? Check it up because we can we can talk some baseball right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got, I got a little something for MLB talk. So, obviously, home run derby just passed. Juan Soto won. All-star game passed. My boy Big G brought home the all-star game MVP. You know, he, he's won an MVP with Miami. Now he's won an all-star game MVP with the Yankees. I'm hoping uh, this season he brings home World Series MVP. But there's a name that I want to highlight that I mentioned, our home run derby winner, Juan Soto. So the second half of the season of baseball is fast approaching, fast approaching. It starts tomorrow. Yankees kick it off with a doubleheader in Houston. That's exciting. A possible ALCS matchup, another, another rematch. The Yankees need to come out on top this time. But let me get to my point. Juan Soto, Juan Soto, the most, one of the most phenomenal players in baseball today, 23 years old, two-time All-Star and a World Series champion, turned down a 14-year, $440 million extension from the Washington Nationals. The guy knows his worth and he wants to go get his money. This more so seems like the Washington Nationals are going to push to trade Juan Soto if they believe they cannot keep him. Now, I repeat, he's 23 years old with two and a half years left until he hits free agency. The package that they would receive to get Juan Soto out of Washington has to be huge. And now I've been looking on Twitter and I've been hearing things on TV about teams being hesitant to make this trade for for Juan Soto. Now I'm just going to make this very clear. There isn't a prospect in baseball that's worth holding over trading for Juan Soto. Not a single prospect. He is 23 years old and at the moment on a Hall of Fame track. If you can get that back, you go get it. If you're the Yankees, if you're the Mets, if you're the Dodgers, if you're the Cardinals, and you can make the move, don't sleep on it. You go get him. Juan Soto is a stud. I'm looking at it now. He batted 333 in that 2019 World Series. I know that's like kind of like field goal percentage for basketball kind of mm-hmm. batting average, right? His yeah. on base was four, uh, 440. That That's one of the, the craziest things to me. So at 23 years old, he's having what's considered a down year for Juan Soto. He's batting 250. Okay, so what? But his OPS is a 901. His on base percentage is above 400. He's slugging 497. The guy has 20 bombs. Like... When he turned down that contract, the Nationals didn't charter him a private flight to the to the All-Star game. So he, he flew commercial. Mm. Get him out of Washington, man. It's time to get him in a place like New York. Get him in a place like L.A. The, the Yankees? I was calling the Knicks. <laughs> and the Yankees, the Yankees they, could get him? Damn. They have the because... prospects to do it. And but like I said, uh, the Yankees' top prospect, or one of their top prospects, is center fielder Jason Dominguez. He's had comparisons to Mickey Mantle, switch hitter, and the nickname is the Martian. He's a stud. But 
if you can get Juan Soto, a sure thing. Prospects are all question marks, much like football, much like basketball. Prospects are all question marks. Your draft picks are question marks. You don't know what they're going to pan out to be. You could have a number two pick, and you may never see that guy play Major League Baseball. You never know. Damn. So if if you know for certain what you're getting at this age, you go after it. Absolutely. That's all I got for you guys. This is going to be the deadline is August 2nd. Nationals don't have to trade him right now, but the package that they'd get if they do, hard to turn down. Where are they in the standings? Washington? Yeah. I believe they're last in the NL East. Yeah, they're 31 and 63. They suck. Oh my God. It's been rough for Washington outside of 2019 title. I mean, it's like oh, yeah. the, the Commanders and then. The Wizards, we just absolutely crapped on. Damn, dude. Outside that one title, they've had nothing. And it's a true shame. The Capitals won it too, right? The Capitals won a couple years. Yeah. Yep. But it's a real shame. You had Bryce Harper. He's gone. You know, signed with with your division rival, Philly. You had Max Scherzer. Now he signed with the New York Mets, your division rival. You know, you signed, you extended Steven Strasburg. And at the moment, that's been one of the worst contracts in baseball. You signed Patrick Corbin and got you a World Series, but since then, he hasn't been the man that you've paid for. Washington is just going down. It's it's time for rebuild, but with a trade of Juan Soto, you'd be able to get MLB-ready players and top-of-the-line top prospects. I, I, I see there's no benefit to Washington keeping Juan Soto at the moment right now. If you can't re-sign him to that big deal, if he turns down, if he can turn down fourteen years, four hundred and forty million dollars, he doesn't want to be there. He wants to be elsewhere. That's crazy. That's really how baseball is, man. The player empowerment, I guess. That's that's thirty million over the next decade and a half. That's nuts. If it was four twenty, right, or four forty? Four forty. That's over. Yeah, it's like thirty one, thirty two million, man. Over a decade, damn. Hey man, there's a lot of teams that are in the, in the mix. They're, they're preparing. Apparently, I heard this morning that there's a couple teams preparing offers to send over to Washington. The Yankees being one of them. Uh, man, could you imagine Aaron Judge and Juan Soto in the same outfields for a season? How about the Mets? The Mets have some prospects. I know they got the money, right? Yeah. So the Mets have the money and they have the prospects to make the move. But the biggest question is: Would Washington want to trade their star to to their division rival, who's going to mm-hmm. be there? Probably sign a. a a contract north of 10 years. So I don't know if they want to deal with that in division, but if you can get the prospects, why not? Not. Brian, do you have anything? That's all I got. Huh? Do you have anything before I cap this thing off? Uh, Yeah. So like Justin did, uh, took it to one of his favorite sports. I'm going to take it to one of my favorite sports that we don't, uh, we don't talk about, but. Is one of my passions is uh, mixed martial arts. So I want to talk about the uh, UFC card coming up in um, this Saturday, July 23rd. Now, this is going to be them back in the UK uh, for the second time this year. They just went back to the UK in March earlier this year for the first time since the pandemic happened. Um, and all I got to say is, If you watch this card on Saturday uh, afternoon, because the prelims start at 12 and then the main card starts at 3 p.m. If you watch this card, what you're going to notice and what you're going to feel is the passion and the 
how crazy the UK crowd is. These English fans go nuts. You feel it through your TV, especially when their people are fighting. So I just want to run through a couple of fights that are ones that you should uh, look out for if you are going to watch this. Um, my homegirl, Molly McCann, who's become one of my favorite fighters in the UFC. She, her nickname's The Meatball. She's five, uh, she, I think, hold on. She's five foot four. She's got a 62-inch reach. And, but she just fights like a domin- a dynamo, okay? So she, she her last performance in March, if you look it up, maybe you saw it on highlight clips. She did a spinning back elbow that absolutely obliterated this one girl, sent her to the shadow realm, all right? Uh, so that, that's a fight you got to look out for. Um, Alexander Gust- uh, Gustafson is coming back. He's a former uh, title challenger who, uh, if not for John Jones and Daniel Cormier, would have probably been the light heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, then you got um, the newbie coming in, the new prospect, one of the futures of this sport, uh, Patty, Patty the Batty Pimblet. And I don't know if you've got heard of him, but you guys might have if you're a fan of Barstool because he signed to Barstool. Patty is, is what pot he could possibly be the next Conor, <clears throat> excuse me, Conor McGregor in terms of international stardom and stardom around the world. This kid, he's got a mouth on him. He loves to trash talk. Um, he's already said that his opponent coming up, that he's going to knock his freaking head off his head, uh, head off his uh, shoulders, and he's going to teabag him like they did back in Modern Warfare 2. Um, so you just got to love this kid. If you if you listen to him talk, you watch him. If you're a wrestling fan, I know Justin, uh, Justin is and was, He's got the Owen Hart haircut with the bowl haircut. I'm so looking at a picture just, right now, too. Yeah, he yeah. looks just like Owen Hart. It's hilarious. Patty the Batty is going to be special. Um, and then uh, the main event is Tom Aspinall versus Curtis Blaze. These are two heavyweights colliding, both, I think, uh, top 10 in the world right now. Uh, Curtis Blades is a, a bona fide wrestler who loves to cut you up with elbows. His nickname is Razor. So... Tommy Aspinall is a future star in the heavyweight division. He's, he's, he's a heavyweight. So heavyweight is 225 and up. Uh, the maximum is I think 265, but he moves like a freaking middleweight, which is 185. It, it's insane. His quickness. He's great off his back with jujitsu. His speed is incredible. His decision-making is next level. He's young in this sport. I see him getting a big win. If you do want to place a bet, I would prop uh, a prop bet on, Tom Aspel and Curtis Blades not going the distance. I see that fight ending before the f- uh, fifth round. Um, but, yeah, if you guys have time, Saturday afternoon, main card starts at 3 p.m. Um, in U- They're in U.K., Blades versus Aspinall. It's going to be a great event. If you watch it, you're going to understand what I'm telling you right now about the energy that these fans bring. It's insane. Is this a pay-per-view event or no? This is not a pay-per-view. It's good. You, if you want to watch, you got to get ESPN plus. Okay. Or a certain streaming site, maybe. From my, from my boy, I got you. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a watch on Saturday. It's, it's, it's going to be too. an epic night. Oh, well, afternoon, I should say. Yeah. Patty the batty. I like, uh, I like the hair. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. He's going to, he's going to be 18 special. and three. I mean, that, that's pretty high praise to, to compare him to Conor McGregor. So uh, that, that's pretty big, man. No, yeah, he want if I were if I were to say who the two next guys are in this sport is Sugar Sean O'Malley and pa- uh, Patty the Batty Pimblet. 
Those two guys are – I more think uh, Sean O'Malley because he's about to take this next step. He's got a fight just booked in um, October in Abu Dhabi. Uh, he's fighting a guy named uh, Piotr Jan, who just who was a former uh, bantamweight champion in their division, which is 135. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's fighting him. So if he beats him, he's fighting for the title early next year. Um, and then that train just going to rocket ship off because Sugar Sean is he gets views out the wazoo. He's big on social media. He's a he's a trash talker. He's striking. If, if you have time, go look up Sugar Sean O'Malley highlight clips. The guy is special with his technique and his striking. It, it's beautiful to watch. Guys, that was episode 10. It was indeed. Yes. So with all that being said, you can check us out on all their other social media platforms. It'll be on the description. And as always, we'll see you next time. Peace. Stay classy. <laughs>